Blog Talk Radio. Come on. I'm here. I know you're here, but the intro isn't. Come on! Here we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt! Look at my front
he knew what was going on, but he couldn't really speak at that point. And his yeah. son was up with him. I saw that. Uh-huh. Isn't that the one where you had his son basically say that he it, he didn't speak there because he hated everyone in the audience and didn't think there was worthy enough to see in his voice? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think so. But, yeah, he started good. People say Smiley Python started when, uh, well, for most people, Monty Python started when uh, Monty Python and we the Holy Grail came out. On, on, on uh, PBS. Yeah, well, the 80s, because that's when I've seen it. For me, it's like, oh, 9 o'clock, they're showing you a show. What is this? Oh, my God, there's a naked guy in front of the piano. I fucking love it. (laughs) Well, I I have to talk about that a little bit, okay? When I first saw it, those were blackout sketches. They lasted maybe about five seconds. It was like 1975-76 when I first saw saw Monty Python. And I was a church organist. And, of course, he's at the organ. And it's like, wow, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. And, and so, you know, that was – that really made my day and made me really like Monty Python – And I didn't even realize until years later it was Terry Jones that did that. I mean, he's butt naked. You can see his his cheeks and his and his crack in his ass. And (laughs) it was funny as hell. Yeah. Well, what happened was Terry Jones came out and said that they were writing the sketches, and they had certain skits where they got to a point where they didn't have an ending. Right. So they're like, what are we going to do? They're like, screw it. Let's just tell something stupid and then go on to the next one. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, of course, that's, the, that, that's how it all started. And now for something completely different, which was a catchphrase during the show and then was the name of their first film, which was basically a set of sketches from the show. But over in the U.S., it was their second film. Mm-hmm. I make your head hurt, don't it? No, well, actually, it was their first film if you had HBO early. Yeah. But what happened was that early. Holy Grail came out, and it was a surprise hit. And then they re-released that. And then a lot of people who had already seen the show on PBS were pissed off when they seen the movie. Right. Exactly. One of the working titles yeah. for that was some uh, some reused crap that we threw together. <laughs> now, but the whole the whole thing about Terry Jones is that we know him specifically from Python, but he did so much more, you know. Uh, than that too, as as uh, as they separated and they went their their separate ways, and he actually had done a lot of writing beforehand 
uh, a show he had done previously, which I remember, was called The Two Ronnies, which was a yeah. really good show, and he wrote several of the episodes for that. And the David Frost show. Yeah, absolutely. This week with David Frost. But if um, I was going to pick my favorite role of his in Python, it, it would be Brian's mother. It had my favorite line of his of all time. Okay. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty, naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, just a wonderful one. For me, I guess I would, I'd have to go with the nude organist. You know, because he yeah. always turned his face back so the audience could see him, and he had this lascivious grin on him. Yeah. And I always said, you know, I always got the joke, you know, caught by the organ, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Did yeah. you notice yeah, that the last of the nude organist sketches they did was the one where he got blown up? After that, he wasn't yep. on the, that nude organist bit wasn't on the show anymore if you watched them in order? Yep. <laughs> it was like, doo-doo-doo-doo. <laughs> Wasn't that in the random explosion episode? I think so, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the first I seen because PBS had a horrible habit of showing the fucking series they got out of Britain out of fucking order. Well, don't they always do that? It, it, it seems really weird. I mean, they're still doing that to a certain degree because... You know, even some of the shows that are showing on PBS now from BBC, uh, they're they're out of order. Yeah. But with Monty Python, they were actually a bizarre, aimless comedy sketch series with continuity. Uh, like I've seen... Uh, on the episode or two, but not all the way through, no. Yeah. I, like, I've seen two or three episodes of the guy who had come in in the middle of the sketches and go, nope, nope, this is too silly, stop this, stop this. But they Before did that I've all seen the, the way first episode, they like that, but I don't call that continuity. Wait, let me finish. Before I've seen the episode where they actually introduced his character and why he showed up for that. Okay. Yeah, they had a whole bit where, like, the BBC has deemed that anything that is too silly and ridiculous will not be shown on the BBC. So anytime this show gets too silly or ridiculous, I will show up. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Like uh, the one they used to escape what they called their most disgusting sketch ever. Which is? The mortuary slash restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought maybe you were going to jump to a movie and talk about Mr. Creosote. Which, of course, no, they said the most disgusting, Like I said, the most disgusting sketch they, they said they did was the yeah. one with that. Like, are you sure you don't want a liver or something? You know? Good stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, stuff. Carl's going to go into more, more in-depth and stuff, but, yeah, Terry Jones yeah, did I'll... documentaries for the BBC. He wrote books. He wrote Eric the Viking and directed the movie, which everyone says there's the director's cut of it that's supposedly better than the confusing piece of shit that we got. Yep. And that was a confusing piece of shit movie. <laughs> yeah, you're talking Eric the Viking. That was actually based on one of his several uh, children's uh, novels that he wrote. Children's yeah. books. Because he wrote uh, several children's books. Uh, we're missing one particular one we should mention on this show, and that's Ripping Yards. Oh, I love that one. I'm a man, I do manly things. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That was a whole series based on taking the piss out of the Brit of the of the British manliness and uh, the old pulp novels. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's one uh, episode where I seen a clip, Carl, where one of them yelled. Out at right before he was about to be shot. Usually, everyone in the ripping yarn stores met a horrible end, didn't they? Yes, they did. And I can remember one yelling out, Breakable Rat was a pussy! Boom! boom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Of course, you know, here at Wildside. Cult Radio, uh, we always love references to Breaker Barrett, don't we, Stephen? Yeah, and that was the thing. Ripping Yarns never came out here in a full series until the DVD set came out, I think, or when A&E got them, because I can remember a Best Of set. Mm-hmm. Well, it really wasn't the best, though. It was just like, hey, let's grab three episodes from the guys from Monty Python that we recognize and then just throw it out on tape. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. And it wasn't a way, good way to be introduced to the series. No. No. But but a really, really wonderful series with, with great... Uh, 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 a good sense of humor, and 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 uh, they got a little grotesque there too. Let's not forget that. Um, yeah, that one song that I sung, "I'm a Man and I Do Manly Things," that was Michael Palin standing with about twenty three spears in his chest, bleeding yep. out. <laughs> going, "I'm a man, I do manly things. I get killed in the end, but I don't care." Yep. Yeah, Ripping Yarns mm-hmm. got very violent. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and let's not forget also, we we got to talk about one of his characters uh, in um, uh, Holy Grail, and that's Sir Belvedere. Oh, God, yeah. The whole thing Sir about, Belvedere, the you know, she's a witch. But <laughs> she's a witch. Well, how do we know she's a witch? witch? Well, what else floats like a witch? A duck. 
She told me we know she's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Newt. <laughs> I got better. <laughs> and of course, he was. Remember, Terry Jones wasn't he the old man too? Yes. I'm not bad. Shut up! You're almost dying. I feel happy. I'm <laughs> 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 not dead yet. <laughs> Shut up, you're near death. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh and, and I'll get into more more uh uh detail. You know, a uh, couple things we should mention here at least. He wrote the screenplay to Labyrinth. Yeah. Every teenage girl from nineteen eighty five on owes him a debt of gratitude for David Boy's codpiece. <laughs> well, he he's not the he's not the person who did the costumes, okay? <laughs> yeah, but he wrote that into the script in sort of a subtle way. <laughs> not, I mean, it's sort of big, but it's a subtle way. The more she grows into a woman, the, the bigger more pronounced is that codpiece gets. Yeah. Yep. You see, with Labyrinth, like most people don't get, he didn't write it as a children's movie. No, it's not. He wrote it as a a girl's journey into real. It was like his version of what he called Valerie in her week of wonders. Mm-hmm. In the case yep. you're thinking, now, now, Jim Henson wouldn't do something like that, Carl. Well, of course he was. Yeah. Dark Crystal, Storyteller. Oh, yeah. Happy Time Murders? Yeah, yeah. The way that it was originally thought of. Okay? Yeah, the original Not what concept, we got. yeah. Yeah. Not what we got, okay? Another thing that we got to mention about Terry Jones is uh, I know it under the title The Wind in the Willows, but on IMDb it's called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And uh, that yeah. was Terry Jones directed that. Uh, uh, it's animated. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing. And it's based on one of his children's uh, books, too. Yeah, you so know that, too. And that, that one I haven't seen. Uh, I don't know if that's out or, or not, but the you know, I mean the the cast: Steve Coogan, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Nicole Williamson, John Cleese, Stephen Fry, Michael Palin. That that's that's a cast. The same. Oh, it's good. I seen it on HBO back in the day. But you know why yeah, he so has the same title over here, don't you? Over in the U.S. No, I, oh oh, because of uh, Disney, right? Yeah, the Disneyland ride. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah. Well, the, well, Disney distributed it yeah. and called it Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah. Yeah. To connect with their stuff. So, But the original title is The Wind in the Willows. Um, yeah. I've seen it on HBO under Wind in the Willows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't forget too, he wrote uh, fierce, uh, fierce creatures too. 
Which is the Talk about the, a castrated the, script. Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Have you ever read the uh, outline of the original script, Carl? No, I have not, but I know it was it was definitely bodlerized, as as I like to say. Well, I put castrated because originally it was supposed to be like uh, the more that patrons came in and got mutilated by the animals, the more they loved it and the more they came back. Yeah. <laughs> a child's face got eaten by a tiger. Did anybody see it? Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be yeah, very there, hard. There was always the darkness to them. There was always darkness. Which is uh, a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the studios thought it would be too dark. They reunited the cast from a fist called Wanda, one of the most adult caper films ever. Mm-hmm. And then says, oh, let's put them in. Oh, it's fierce animals. We'll put them in there with cute animals. And that wasn't exactly the idea. <laughs> yeah. That's when... Uh, uh, Terry Jones and Cleese had a falling out because Cleese wanted to do an, uh, well, let's be honest, past Python, most of the stuff John Cleese did was stuffy British comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's his, his niche. I, I get that. I get that. They basically had to contractually force him to be in a uh, meaning of life. Well, that was that. There was so much there that was going on during that period of time with them. You know, uh, uh, there was a lot of infighting and difficulties that they were going through at that time because they all wanted to do different things, and and so they ended up doing this thing, but they did a lot of the stuff separately from each other. Gillum uh, did a whole film on his own, and they just slapped it on at the beginning. Yeah, and it's hilarious. Uh, the something yeah. advertising agency. The per- the permanent insurance agency. Yeah, where they become pirates. Yeah. And only in a Terry Gilliam film would you see a Insurance building become a ship. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mr. Primrose, you have a sword. <laughs> and don't forget who was the star of that 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 little film too. Who? Max Headroom. Oh, Matt Fuhr. Yeah, Fuhr oh, nice. was in. Yeah. I keep forgetting he had a big British career before he came over here and slummed it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, more a Canadian career than British. Yeah. I mean, he definitely did some stuff in Britain, too, but he was more Canadian. Yeah. And, of course, don't forget Mr. Creosote, like you said. Well, no, you can't. You can't. Yeah. They tried to outgross comedy, Chris, but you can't. No, no. I, you know, to this day, I cannot watch that segment. 
I just cannot watch that segment. I think I ate too much. And let's just get you a wafer thin mint. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Terry Jones yeah. wrote the best song in the whole movie. Uh, most of the songs were were done by Ennis, not not Jones. Jones wasn't a musician. Yeah, but he wrote the lyrics to the Universe song. Uh, I will check that to make sure. But yeah, okay, I can I can see him doing the the lyrics. Yeah. Let's just, yeah. Um, but they all they all did stuff. Actually, it's called the Galaxy Song. Yeah, the Galaxy Song. And uh, let me put it this way: they say uh, the song is by Eric Idle, John Duprez, and all the members of Monty Python. So there, that's the way they put it. Yeah. Well, they knew how to do royalty from their rock and roll days. Right. Exactly. Yes, people. That's one thing that really hasn't been touched by many people is that they not only had a successful TV series and only four movies, five if you don't count the live ones. Right. Four, I think. What? Four, right? Because it's it's yeah, Grail. Completely different. Uh, Holy Grail. Life of Brian and uh, Meaning of Life. Yeah, only four. Yeah. And there's only four seasons of uh, the TV show. Right. Now, they had been working, you know, together before then. For example, they all uh, worked on... uh, on the Magic Christian, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, and and they did other work too, and um, so they knew each other. Of course, the new guy, of course, when that started, was was Terry Gillum, the American. Yeah, it's because they were too lazy to do the animation. Well, let's face it, Terry Gillum was damn good at what he did, so they got they yeah. made the right decision. Um, but yeah, they Monty Python only existed for a really short span. But God damn, did they really kick ass during that short span? Oh yeah, and and, and the thing is, they, they they still have import. They still have influence. Seriously, you know, uh, you know, anything that's a sketch comedy these days, particularly if it goes into the weird and the silly. Thank, 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 uh, Monty Python for that. Seriously. Yeah. The kids in the hall. Oh yeah. Broken lizard. Yeah. No, any of those guys. But yeah, and. 
Oh, yeah. Willie Loomis from uh, Dark Shadows died this week, yesterday, too. Yes, John Carlin. John Carlin is <laughs> is a good good actor. We, of course, know him most from from uh, uh, Dark Shadows. But I'm, I'm looking at him now, so give me a moment here. Okay. Uh, he... Uh, he had a recurring role on uh, Cagney and Lacey. Uh, and there's a movie. What was the movie? Oh, uh, Daughters of Darkness. Oh, God damn, yeah. That one's good. Daughters of Darkness, man. And you can uh, pick it up for uh, bucks. Yeah. But if you can find it, I would recommend you rather getting the Blue Underground uh, Blu-ray DVD, but make sure it's the two-disc one because that comes with a fully loaded version of the Blood Splattered Bride as an extra. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's one of the better sets out there. Mm-hmm. They're all on separate yep. Blu-rays now, but I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. In the age of cheap bastards, that's the one to look for. Right. And then most of his work after that was all TV series. But but for Daughter of Darkness and and, and uh, Dark Shadows, you know, he deserves a place on the mantle, trust me. Without a doubt. Oh, God, yeah. But yeah, I hate you. Oh, oh, you know what else he was in? What? Do you remember the movie Impulse? Uh, which one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have a point there. That's the one where the water gets... Gets uh, uh, infected uh, and oh, it's acid. Yeah. yeah, the 1981 with uh, Meg Tilly. 84. And, 84. Uh, what? With Tim Matheson and Meg Tilly. Yeah. And you remember who plays her panty sniffing brother who wants to hump her? Uh, that would be Bill Paxton. Paxton, yeah. <laughs> Were you sniffing my panties? No. (laughs) (laughs) That one is an insane gem if you can find it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But try to find it on YouTube or streaming because the DVD goes for scary prices nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm talking very scary prices. But there, there you go. So you're a you're a little uh, 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 envious of me, perhaps. Yeah, you're that going be- to see something this weekend that is sort of a comeback, and everyone who's seen it so far says it's fucking good. Yep, I'm, I'm going to see the color out of space, people. Yeah, no and way you're before we get to the director, we're getting the story. 
what this was one Lovecraft's favorite story, and this is the see if you can guess it, Carl. The wasp adaption of this story. How many adaptions of this? Yeah. I'm going to say three. Yeah, three official ones. There have been some unofficial ones. But the first official one was... Was that Die, Monster, Die? Yeah, Die, Monster, Die by with Boris Karloff, which is okay, but they didn't have the money to do such... An insanely ambitious story as uh, that. Right. You, because if you've ever read the story, it's like a big bizarre drug trip. Well, that's what I hear this movie turns into about 20 minutes till the end. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the 1980s version, The Curse, filmed in Knoxville, Tennessee, by David Keyes. Ugh. I, I, if it's the one I think of, it's not that good. No, it's not that good. David Keyes was not a director. Anything that was decent in it was... Uh, Because he had a helping hand with the directing, someone who helped him out, who came out as an associate producer. Oh, and who would that be? You ever heard of Lucio Fulci? Yeah, that that, that person I have heard of, actually. Yeah, Fulci was the associate producer. He came in for uh, Asonitis, as a help to Asonitis. Okay. Because he had his hands full. David Keyes was supposed to have a bigger role in the movie, but instead he's only in during the last five minutes, first five minutes of the first four minutes of the movie. The rest of his role is taken over by Will Wheaton. Okay. It's not that good. Mm Mm-hmm. And then this is the third official. Yeah. And the third one is the one that's coming out this week in semi-wide. And it's directed by what? a guy, well, let's go through this whole over here if we can. In 1990, there was this movie coming out that was, we didn't know what the hell it was by looking at the trailer. Was it a sci-fi film? Was it a horror film? What the hell was it? We had no freaking clue. What? We had no freaking yeah, clue. It was clue. all over the map. Yeah, why did you watch it? I watched it because uh, I was a fango slave back in, and they were like, you got to see this shit. And I'm like, Well, I caught, I caught it on HBO. And, of course, yeah. if it's a movie I hadn't seen, and it's like sci-fi, they, they, they named it sci-fi. So, yeah, I'm going to watch it, see how it is. It's like, holy shit, this is good. Yeah. And not exactly what I expected either. Oh, God, no. This one blew me away, true, because I was expecting, you know, woman trapped in an apartment with robot. I wasn't expecting a woman trapped in a robot 
directed by a guy who's tripping on shrooms and fucking, you know. Exactly. And that would be the great Richard Stanley, and that would be Hardware. God damn, is this one good? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the coolest things about this movie was that he named the robot Mark 316 for no reason. He said so in the commentary. He named it that for no fucking reason. And then see the correlating Bible verse. Yeah, he didn't even think about the Bible verse or anything. And then uh, Dylan McDermott brought it up. And we got the tagline to the movie. Yes, we did. No flesh be spared. Yep. And it may be the most downbeat fucking sci-fi film to come out of the 80s, and that's saying a fucking lot. (laughs) To say the least. I mean, there's not a... I mean... The problem is when it first hit DVD, they thought that that orange, nasty, grungy tint to it. No, it was the VHS by uh, mm-hmm. Miramax. They thought that right. that nasty, orange, grungy tint that's so important to the fucking movie's look right. was an accident. And no, it wasn't. No, he intended it that way. It's supposed to look like a post-nuke, nasty, grungy orange. And God, and we had Lemmy, Dill McDermott's fucking great in this movie. Do you know who he originally had uh, cast as hard mo, but I couldn't really see him doing it? Who? Jeffrey Combs. Oh, I could see Jeffrey Combs doing that. Do oh, yeah. Know? I could. Is uh, he supposed to be his badass muscular soldier coming out? Well, he played a little different, but he could be badass. Come on. Yeah. He could definitely be badass. And Stacy Travis, well, he wanted her from the get-go as soon as he seen her. He had to fight for her. Yep. The studios, his investors, the studios wanted someone sexier. Well, and when we get when we get to the next film, he yeah. has this tendency to, to to cast females who aren't traditionally sexy, but they have something there. And, and for Stacey Stanley, he wanted to cast a woman who you believe shoving a baseball bat up a robot's ass. Exactly. <laughs> because that's one of the nice twists of the movie. She ends up being the one who, who tries to save the guy that you think is going to be the badass. Right. And that whole 10-minute bit, in the unrated version, they cut it down for time length. 
of Moe's death trip is just fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And Stanley said, yes, he did base the last uh, half of the movie on what if you had just dropped some real primo acid and the shit hit the fan and you had to be responsible by tripping your fucking balls out. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it a lot. And a great soundtrack, too. He's done a lot of videos, too. Yes, he has. He's done a lot of videos. He's also done a couple of uh, documentaries, too. Yeah, we could do a whole show on that, the video generation of some of the great directors that came out of uh, directing music videos. Like, uh, let's see, Michael Mann. Michael Gondry. Michael Gondry. Uh, there's so many. Yeah, Russell Mike Jones Mulcahy. too. Russell Mulcahy, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was actually no, it wasn't a big hit when it first came out over here, but it was one of the top three rallying flags about the NC-17. It was, what was the third one? I know it was Henry and June. Oh, not Henry and June. The Cook, the Thief, the Wife, that it's, oh, yeah, I remember now. The Cook, the Thief, the Wife and its Lover, Hardware, and Life is Cheap, but Toilet Paper is is expensive. Right. Those are the three movies that were bullshit X ratings. Yep. Because you remember, because the uncut version of Hardware, which is the one with the extra gore, not with the extra bit on the death scene, is 2.5 seconds longer. Right. What it is is when the doorman gets cut in fucking half. Right. It's a little bit longer. You get to see him spit up blood and the body get split in half and then drag it back, blah, blah, blah. That's all that's fucking missing. But that's the difference between an X and, and an R. What's different? What? And an X and NC-17. Or whatever. Yeah, we didn't have finally... NC-17. There was an X and an R. And what okay, was the X difference and R. between okay, an X gotcha. and an R? Yeah. What was the difference between an X and an R and a cook and the thief, the wife, and his lover? I think it was uh, the naked body at the end, right? No, two inches. Yeah, okay. They raised the bottom of the frame two inches. It's an R rating at the end. Right. They lower it Well, I'm inches. worried about the end, okay. Yeah, but seriously, that was it. All they had to do was raise the bottom of the frame two inches. R rating. Lower it two inches. X. Lovely. Does that make any fucking sense? No, not at all. Not at all. 
Not at and all. And because of those three, we got the NC-17, which turned out to be a paper tiger. Yep. Because Very true. we didn't have any money-making movies to come out that used the NC-17. Nope. Nobody, want, nobody wants, wants to use it anymore, either. Yeah, because it's associated with porno because we never had a moneymaker. Right. I mean, this is going, no one's ain't going off topic. We're going on the tight timeline. Do you think Henry and June was the right movie to really start out with the NC-17? I understand why they did it, but but no. 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 We had, let's see, Henry and June, and then Ken Russell's whore got an NC-17. Right. If you've seen the uncut version... That's fucking stupid. I, I didn't say it wasn't stupid. No, it getting the NC-17. Yeah, I understand. I understand there exactly no what you're saying. There's no graphic sex in the whole fucking movie. Nope. Uh, Siskel Niebert did this, and guess what? What? There are more uses of the word fuck in Full Metal Jacket than in the movie Whore. I could believe that. (laughs) I could believe that. And the one movie that could have really saved the NC-17, Miramax wouldn't let him do it. Okay, and what was that? From dusk till dawn. Ah. They wanted to go full NC-17 with the gore, the violence, and the nudity, and the strip bar, and all that. That would have made money. Tarantino didn't want to do it? No, Miramax wouldn't let him do it. Ah. Okay. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, gotcha. But seriously, could you see that movie really making money? A full tilt gore vampire film with nude vampire women? Uh, well, listen, I'm the audience for that, so probably not. Yeah. You know, the general rule with us is if they make a movie for us, it's not going to make money. Yeah. But that wasn't the stupidest thing Miramax did. They had this that got, well, let's just say, you would think after hardware, positive critic response, fucking doing great on the video market, doing mm-hmm. great in Britain, box office-wise, it would be yep. easy for Richard Stanley to get a second film off the ground. You'd think it would be, wouldn't you? And it wasn't. <laughs> oh, hell no. It was a motherfucker. Because he was obsessed with this guy he kept seeing in dreams and reading about in books and all that. Yep. Let's see. Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, Orson Welles' The Hitchhiker. Yep. 
how long has really Hitch, the main character in Dust Devil, really been a part of literature? Oh, for years and years and years. That goes back to uh, 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 there's a version of that character, and and the basic name that he's used is called the Wandering Jew. Um, yeah, the Eternal but Jew. A, but the uh, uh, but my grandmother used to tell me a story called The Soldier and Death which they did on a storyteller and that turns yeah. out to be a, a, a wandering man's story yeah yeah the idea of the wandering man he don't you don't know where he came from uh, he just shows up uh, the killer on the road from the doors mm-hmm Randall Flagg in the stand. Yep. John Ryder and the Hitcher, which if you haven't seen the 80s version, you need to. Agreed. Agreed. That character had always haunted Richard Stanley. And he was in Dust and Oh, he was in Hardware, too. Yeah, he was in Hardware. He Small was role, the guy but yes. who sold... Mo's uh, Mark 13. Right, exactly. I wonder where he's going to show up in the Colorado space. You have to tell me if he shows up there. I bet he does. Oh, I will. I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're in Knoxville, my area, Central Cinema is showing it for a Lee Kwong uh, showing starting tomorrow, and you better go see it, goddammit, or I'll fucking kill you. Well, I'm surprised you're not going to get there. I hope you do. I hope you get to see it. No, sick, no money, pain in the ass to deal with, understand? No, I understand. It's the sixth that I'm playing my cards for, because if I don't make it to that, there will be hell raised. Mm-hmm, understood. But, yeah, you look at any religious mythology, there's always that. The aboriginals have that, you know, going on a walkabout and all that. Oh, yeah. But in Stanley's mythos, the dust devil is uh, a demon who's trapped on our side of the world looking for enough power, to enough souls, power, knuckles to get to the other side. And he looks for people who are despairing, who are on the moment of killing themselves, or just that unbearably lonely. Yep. And good God, how great is John Robert Burke in that fucking role? Oh, good Lord. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But... Miramax, in their intelligence, did you see the quotes that just flew up when I said intelligence on either side of that? Yes, I did. Took one a uh, 110 minute movie, right? One hour and 50 minutes, right. and cut it down to 78 minutes without credits. I think something like that. Absolutely. I've never seen that cut. I was smart enough to 
avoid it like a vampire does a cross. Well, a mm-hmm. Catholic vampire. And, and I've never seen it either because both you and I were smart enough to get the double DVD set of it, which is now out well, of print. I've seen the video very stores expensive. at 80 minutes, and I was like, oh, great, it's the... Yeah. This cut is uh, what a hundred and it's what a uh, hundred and ten minutes or something like that. It's almost two hours, right? Yeah, a hundred and ten minutes compared to seventy nine minutes. Yeah, that's a half hour cut off. Yeah. How can you and cut the movie off is very hour? dreamlike as is. Oh, absolutely. It's I wonderful. I hate to see how hard it is to follow in that version. Oh, yeah. I would, too. From what I heard, that version makes Robert John Burke's character out just to be a plain old psychopath. Right. Which he's not. Not by a long oh, no. shot. No. Can you imagine how hard that would be to cut down? I mean, in every fucking shot, he's he's different somehow. Right. He's not even wearing the same coat. You know, Robert John Burke, I, I just got to say... You know, we're talking about this particular film, but he, uh, there's a couple other films. He was actually RoboCop and RoboCop 3, and he actually was very good. Movie, not so much, but he was good. Um, but another oh, yeah, film I really recommend good. is. What? No, I'm agreeing with you. He was good. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, but the other film I really recommend. To- his is a film called No Such Thing, where he plays a mythical monster who wants to kill himself but can't. Very cool film. I know, you don't like it. Tough you. I, I don't care. I love that movie. But yeah, I mean... And Zolk's Zolk's You say his name, I fuck it up all the time. Oh, Zakaz Mokai. Zakaz Mokai. He's great in almost, well, almost anything you see him in, he's worth watching. I, uh, can I tell this story? Yeah, so, go ahead. So you probably, probably have heard this, but Zakaz Mokai was in a film called The Believers. This is 1985, 86, something like that. And I was working for a woman by the name of Carla Pinza, and Carla was cast in it as the Latino uh, um, uh, housekeeper who also was a Santeria priestess, a good Santeria priestess. And uh, so they were filming in New York, and I got to be on set because she was also um, an advisor about the Santeria religion, which is critical to the film. And... um, 
So I had a chance to sit down with Sakez Mokai and play a game of chess with him. And it was like the coolest 40 minutes of my life. He was just so cool. Really, really fine gentleman. And, and, and I was just so pleased to have met him. And, and so when I saw him in here, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. this is great. I love him. And he's so good yeah. in this movie. And if you have the four-disc set of Dust Devil, watch the work print at least once, because I have footage of Zoke, of uh, him that's supposed to be in the director's cut, but they couldn't find it in any usable condition. Oh. Yeah. And we actually, if you go back uh, in... in, in uh, our shows, the Steep Video Store, uh, we did a watch of this. Remember that? How many years ago was that? A couple years ago? Yeah. Yeah, we did that about two or three years ago. So there is a watch of this. We need to do hardware, but Carl doesn't have it, and uh, the Blu-ray and DVD is out of print now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But we both had 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 Dust Devil, and and to be honest, of the two two complete Stanley films, I prefer Dust Devil to Hardware. It's close, but I do prefer oh, he's got, Dust Devil. Yeah, he he didn't have that second film curse. No, not at all. He did have a third film curse, but not the second. Oh God! Uh, go watch Lost Lost Souls, the story to Alan and Doctor Moreau to really see why Val Kilmer is a cocksucking motherfucker. And and so is Marlon Brando. They're both assholes. Yeah, but it was uh, <laughs> it was uh, Kilmer, Kilmer that got Stanley fired. Yeah. But yeah, after that, he did some short films and then he did a couple of. Well, there was always projects thrown around. But he has his documentaries, which are on the Dust Devil for this set, which means if you can find it, get it. Those fucking documentaries are worth it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The most interesting is The Hidden Grail which is the one I recommend the most of his documentaries, don't you? Yes, I agree. I agree with that. How many of you people out there know the Raiders of the Lost Ark or have heard of that little movie? I'd say most of our listeners know that. Would they be surprised if it was based on fact? Oh, yeah. There was a German guy who Hitler sent out to find religious artifacts. Mm -hmm. That's fact. And the weird myth is is that he possibly found (laughs) the location of the Holy Grail. Mm Mm-hmm. And that whole documentary is Richard doing a 
study into that. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention before, but Richard Stanley is an anthropologist's son. He was raised in the bush. Yeah, and, and and all it's just really, I I really like him. I'm and, and and I'm just so happy that he's got a new film out, and it's and and it's right in his alley, and it's been getting really good reviews. Uh, so yeah, you know, you know that, all these films uh, are worth one. Where he's living now, where we almost had him on the show, is the foot of the mountain where uh, the castle is that he based. He did a sequel film on this, on the town that's right next to the castle where supposedly, if you watch the hidden rail or the hidden secret, I forget the title, but where the grail castle is. And it was never translated oh, no, and brought over here. If it was, I didn't know about it. And please, someone tell me, because I want to watch that damn movie. Okay. Now, one but other yeah, thing I do have to mention about Stanley, which we have not. There is a, uh anthology film called The Cedar Bazaar. And that came out about eight years ago, something like that, mid mid aughts or mid mid teens, but uh, it has a segment that was directed by Stanley, which was his first uh, uh, non-documentary since uh, um, since Dust Devil, uh, and so I would also recommend that. It's not top notch, Stanley, but I'll tell you what, you could see him getting back on the saddle, and you could see him. Wanting to work again, and 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 that led to the deal. Took a while for the movie that's coming out this weekend. And that's yeah, color when it space. was first announced, we were like, same as usual, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's announced, and then it'll fucking fall through again. Right. Not this time. And then it was done. <sighs> And it's been running uh, in the festival circuits too, and and yeah. and, uh, uh, and people have just there's been nothing but good feedback. Nothing but good feedback. Yeah. This is uh, Richard Stanley's fast Eddie Felson moment at the end of the Color of Money. It seems. Yep. It doesn't matter. I'm back. Exactly. And, and of course, he's already he's already yeah. going to do a, uh, a, a, a another uh, uh, one, uh, okay. and of course, that's going to be the Dunwich Core, right? Dunwich Horror. Yeah. Which the '68 version was good, but again. It didn't have the money for the ambition the project had. Yep. But Dean Stockwell kicked knocks it out of the fucking park in that movie. 
And then didn't you just tell me after that he's got it set up to do another film? Yeah. He's finally going to get to do his version of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Finally. Which is, if he does it the way that he had it written in his brilliant script, God damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And you know what? I really want him to make it. Because you know what? I want to fuck you to all those people that fucked him over. And, and, and Yeah. You know, you know the, the original film... The credited director was John Frankenheimer, who came in afterwards. And Frankenheimer, basically, as soon as it was done, washed his hands of it, said it was the most fucked up situation he'd ever seen. Yeah. Frankenheimer came in, read Stanley's script, and said, why aren't you fucking doing this script? It's fucking brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. And there's reports of the scene where, uh, well, Brando didn't even learn the script. Every bit of a script was fed to him through... Uh, cue cards. No, not cue cards. Uh, microphone. Microphone, okay. And in one scene, the radio, the wireless microphone picked up a baseball game. And guess what? <laughs> he started what? repeating... The fucking baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, the movie, the shit. This is about the four. I damn. The, let's see. Island of Lost Souls, which if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Get the Criterion disc of it. Watch it. Enjoy it. Love it. Fuck you, it's good. Oh, that's a fucking loot, like Charles Lawton? Pre-code? Charles Lawton? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. And then there was a version in the 60s called Terror is a Man, which no. sucked. And then there was Not a Night Creature, the Night Creatures, from the 1970s. Well, okay, that that's the one. That's the Filipino one, right? Yeah. That's the one with uh um um with coffee with uh. Pamela Greer, Greer, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one's worth watching. And mm-hmm. then there's the AIP one with. Uh, Burt Lancaster. Which I think is really, really good. Oh, God, yeah. I I really like that version a lot. Uh, and, it's and not let's perfect, face it, Barbara Carrera is the Panther Girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that Yeah, one. but as we have said on this show and written in stone, I'm dragging the stone over here. Come here, God. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Okay, I got it now. And it says, let's see, right here, Embryo is the only movie that Barbara Carrera actually tried to fucking act in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I wasn't looking at her acting. (laughs) 
Yeah, but she was that good in Ember. I mean, I don't know why the MPAIP version fails, but it just does. I don't know why. It's well acted. The script is solid. It's just. It's certainly not up to the 31 version. No. You know, uh, but yeah, Lancaster's really good in that role. I I don't understand why that didn't hit either, because I really like that film. There's something missing from it, and I really can't put my finger on it, you know. Mm -hmm. But the Frankenheimer one... It did lead to one of my best moments at a movie theater. Okay. Tell I made it into the movie right to the scene where Val Kilmer says, all you need to do is hunt and fuck. And then I stood up and screamed at the top of my voice, yeah, and I'm going to hunt for the door so I can get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone went, yeah, and three people followed me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> David Tulis was good. Uh, Feruza Balk was fucking good. Oh, yeah. But those were the people that, Stormy Cast, were good. The one that the studio put on them sucked. Yeah. Stanley wanted to make his Moreau. Well, no, I can't really talk about that because I might ruin the upcoming movie. Or you think people remember that long? Ah, fuck no. It. He was going to make his Jesus. Yep. I've seen the storyboards, haven't you? No, I've not seen the storyboards. Well, he does look just like Jesus. He has the robe, the long hair, the beard, and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Which was the point. He is, Moreau is a Jesus character, but he thinks he's... God, yeah. God. And Val Kimmel's character was supposed to represent the devil. How do you think the movie would have played better with those serious religious innovations? Oh, absolutely. And it turns out that David Tulis' character, which, if you watch the Frank Hammer movie, it's leading there, but it doesn't go there, is the most successful and the only one to fully do the full transformation of the animal man. Yeah. Right, exactly. Were you waiting for that shoe to drop? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And his ending was going to be David Tulis back among the normal people, but him realizing that he wasn't, you know, him knowing that he wasn't normal, seeing them as disgusting animals and him being above them. Exactly. So his version would have been very deep. I doubt it would have made money, but God damn it, we would have loved the shit out of it. Uh, and here's hoping he gets to do his version. 
expect a vision. They are, I'm glad that we got little companies that, like uh, A12, that have their monies like, oh, we're making great money off hidden gems. You know what that means? Well, we can make another lighthouse and not to worry if the motherfucker makes money. Right. You know, A24, Bloomhouse, uh, you know, the little small companies are, are the ones that, that I think are really, really trying to save cinema. Seriously. Well, they know how to make money and save money and not overspend. The problem right. is, is when, like with every little company, when they want to become the big studios, mm-hmm. there isn't the big studios anymore. There's the big studio. Exactly. Oh, we got one more RIP to really go through. All right. Rest in peace to 20th Century Fox. No longer 20th Century Fox. It's just going to be 20th Century. Yeah. And that really does break my fucking heart, because I just think of, like, hundreds of fucking years of movies. Ben Hur. Yeah. That little obscure British series that started in the 60s. What was that called? Uh, Bond? Yeah, James Bond. That's entertainment. Yeah. Uh, all that jazz. Uh, da, 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 da. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, such a shame. Oh, and let's go into this. I read this article. You just put this link and said, my response will be up later today. Well, it's I, was that yesterday? No, that well, was today. Let's bring Or no, up actually it was today. yesterday. Okay, yes. Yeah, still, you never brought up a response. Let's bring it up today. What happens okay. in the media generation? I have to generation? get there because I actually did write it out. Uh, um, so give me a second. Um, okay, I'm so calling the, this section of the show Me Too versus Carl and one of his favorite Altman movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So there was an article in The Guardian, and basically the article, you know, says that if you look at the film... Uh, you know, it's very misogynistic. It's very, very against women and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not... Okay, so first let me get there first, okay? So let me get to this. I have to find it. Okay. Oh, West Side Story was... Oh, and uh, as you're going there, Carl, I read a review of uh, Guy Ritchie's new film today's uh, there. Okay. That every complaint about the movies is that it was about white males and that the movie was homophobic and anti people of foreign distinction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so here I'm at the article and I actually have my, my written thing back. But the article okay. is 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 uh 
basically says the following. Okay, and I'm, you know, uh, Mash at 50, the Robert Altman comedy that revels in cruel misogyny. And it, and it's understandable that the 70 film, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this month, lives in its shadow. The subversive anti-war comedy avoided sentimentality and teachable moments in favor of cruel pranks and more hardened cynicism. Coming at the start of cinema's most famous decade, it's a seminal film of New Hollywood, and bears all the hallmarks of its era, strong anti-establishment sentiment, foregrounding the morally ambiguous protagonist, and unfortunately a deep and unexamined misogyny. And it goes on to how they feel it's all misogynist. Now, okay, so that's the article. It's taking a look at a movie that's made in the 70s from the prism of today in the Me Too movement, which personally is always a mistake. Okay, so this is what I'm going to say. This is exactly what I wrote. When looking at any film from 50 years ago, especially Mass, one needs to look at context and the time the film was made. I do not mean to negate the Me Too movement, nor do I contone the annex depicted therein as described in the article by the main characters. But even the article hedges on its conclusions, which I point out at length. MASH was an anti-establishment film. It was against the status quo. Another thing that the film, which I didn't put in my written thing, it's very, it's about anarchy. It's about the upsetting of the order. And so, um, therefore, it's attacks on members of the establishment who embody that point of view. So it's not just hot lips, but it's Frank Burns. It's uh, uh, it's uh, Blake. It's everybody there, and everybody gets it. And since it's you know, it is those characters who are most officious, officious that get the brunt of abuse. And another thing is, you know, they say uh, this article in the Guardian says that the characters are not likable. Well, duh, it's the seventies. Every damn oh, character was you an missed... anti. Yeah. But go ahead, but Steve. But go ahead. Two points, which were a major point in the movie. What was their job? Uh, they were surgeons. Right, and they had to see more death and nastiness than there. So if you didn't have a tombstone set of humor dealing with that, you would go crazy. And that's part of the deal, too. I didn't even bring that up. Yeah. But but and I say in the 70s... What's the worst thing that they have to deal with besides seeing all the death? Uh, all the red tape and all the asshole stuff they're supposed to do for the... For the for the uh, uh, army. No, boredom. And all the rules and rules. Well, no, boredom. Boredom, no. They don't They don't get into that that much. Take a look at the film again. Yeah, because I mean, there are some That's really, I mean, moments. really. What do they have to do? I mean, it's like short bursts of surgery. They patch them up, and then they got nothing but time. There's no movies out <laughs> there. They try to 
trying to get movies. They can't get movies. There's nothing to do. The only really reveling in the movie is the fucking football game at the end of the movie and fucking. Yeah. And getting drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, but the the whole point of this, you know, and we could argue that to a certain degree. I, I they don't. I don't think the film actually focuses on on what you just said too much. But but the one thing is that the humor, everything there, and certainly there's a lot of ethnic humor too. There's the scene where they go to Tokyo uh, and, and 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 talk in, in, in faux Japanese. There's the whole thing about one of the main characters, Spear Checker, who's black. Uh, there there's all of this stuff that's there. Okay, look at the time frame when it's set too. You know, it's set in the Korean War, but let's face it, it's the it's the Vietnam War. We all know that. Um, and these were accepted, you know, whether or not they were right or wrong, you know, that was an accepted type of humor and, and, uh, yeah, and, and behavior. Why, and what is Spear Chucker's biggest talent? Well, he's a football player, for one. Yeah, he can throw that ball like a motherfucker. You remember they asked me, he said, why did you pick Spear Chucker? Because ball chucker sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, and the whole thing is they're they're using these these, these uh, uh, nasty words and 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 this stuff that we all complain about now, and yeah. they're subverting it. You know, there's a subversion, and that's a perfect. Example because it's the black character who named himself Spirit Chucker. Yeah, I mean, and, well, it's like, and the war, MASH was the first war movie outside of Sam Fuller's, maybe the Steel Helmet, to really deal with the boredom of war, as he put it. Mm-hmm. You would have short bursts of activity. You would have, as he said, you would have a gunfight. Last 30 seconds, they would have bodies come in. They would, if they didn't get their job done in under 10, 20, 15 minutes, those motherfuckers might die. What after right. that? They had the nurses to help get them better and the surgeons, you know. It's also about about how um, how the red tape and all that, you know, some uh, yeah. doesn't help the situation and how these people don't get along because they are officials and because they bring they bring difficulty to the whole situation. Now let's not forget that and, too. Uh, you know, the thing article is, really doesn't and 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 uh um and Frank Burns they bring this on themselves. Yeah because you know the hip school and you're an Who's asshole. You? Yeah. You're going to catch it. You're going to get it sooner or later. If you remember, there's an earlier thing where she chews out and puts one of the nurses on punishment. Right. For having sex. And she's single. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that's always been a staple of comedy, taking someone who's righteous and either, A, hoisting them on their own petard, or, two, exposing the emperor as having new clo- no clothes. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's the whole point. You know, and that's what the movie's about. It's about taking these officious types like them and hoisting them on their own petard because they deserve it. It's all about anarchy. It's all about, you know, uh, uh, subverting the system, breaking it down and making a new system. So there, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, we've just become too safe today as a culture. Even our comedies are getting safe. You know? You know, or or they're just stupid and, and go over the the line of, of being, you know, gross and disgusting. That's yeah. not being smart. You know, what did you MASH think of the movie High Fidelity in the 90s, film. Carl? Yeah. What did you think of that yeah. one, the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack? Isn't that like the movie for music nerds and nerds, all that? Oh, it, it, that's a great film. What would you think if they were going to redo it as a TV series, but replace the hero with a black female? I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, the the thing is, is it smart? You know, you don't repla- you don't just replace someone. You know, or like like Heather's. They remade the thing with Heather's, which made no sense. Right? That was just mean and racist. That was just mean and just... Yeah. No, 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 fuck it. I'm going to say it. That was fucking racist. Making the bad guy... Making the bad girls lesbians, transvestites. Yeah. And the main girl was punished because she was straight. That was going to be one of the jokes. Oh, she's punished because she's straight. Mm. No. 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 You don't. No. You don't do that unless you've got a real reason to do it. You know. And and, and I'm not against you know recasting, like like uh, Battlestar Galactica. Recast uh, uh, the main character as a woman, and it worked yeah. incredibly well. Incredibly well. There's ways to do it and do it right, like uh, Janeway in Star Trek. They just mm-hmm. a woman captain. But okay, that's it. Yeah. But if you do it because you want to believe in diversity. No. Do it because the puzzle pieces fit, not for the sake of diverse, not for diversity, for diversity's sake. That's already exactly. killed one woman, people. Yeah, seriously. I agree. I agree. And, well, thank 
weekend, I was listening. I'm, here's a few updates. Sunday's show is going to be uh, Steve's Video Store versus the New York Tourism Board. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm all ready for that. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and we were going to popped up on YouTube, which you need to see. Look up Paul Morrissey's Forty Deuce. You will see yeah, the I'll only watch that movie that then. was what? I'll watch that before Sunday for sure. Watch the only movie that was ever pulled from U.S. distribution because of the New York Tourist Board Authority, Tourist Authority, Mm -hmm. because it didn't represent their uh, profile, what they wanted New York City to look like. And Carl was there right when they really started doing their swath of damage. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll be talking about that. And no, I'm not a fan of the New York tourism board. (laughs) Yeah. And yes, we're having a bit trouble with the sleaze pit. Uh, 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 by the way, I have an update. I have an update. Uh-huh. So we were going to do that tonight uh, and, and get it out. Unfortunately, my computer, my laptop, went a little crazy. And then there were all these updates that just finished like five minutes ago. Oh, okay. That was probably it. That was it. It was all these updates. Yeah. Oh, well. It became, as I called it, interesting. <laughs> so we did a show off the top of our heads tonight, and I think it went rather well, sir. Yeah. And people go, if it's playing next, you go and you're a horror fan or a Richard Stanley fan or just a fan of not seeing mother motherfucking Hollywood Secret Cutter film. Go see the Colorado Space. Support the theaters that are playing that. That's how you do it. People always bitching. Well, how do we get real films paying there? Money. Money. No, really, that's all it is. Money. You go to the theaters and say, if you play weird, you know a weird little movie? Yeah. Here's some money. You mean if we play it, you'll give us money? Yeah. We'll get more weird films. Absolutely. And plus, also, from what I understand, is is if you're a, a Nick Cage fan, yeah, you need to go see this. And it's made the same producers as Mandy. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to drag so there you go. Hand, man, just like a big-ass asshole. And what I was talking about, if you're in Knoxville, this is very, 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 very important. What was the best sequel to The Exorcist to ever come out, Carl? I would say Exorcist 3. And I would say, no, there was a film that came out before it that was done by Richard Peter Blatty, and it involved the astronaut that Reagan told Uh you're going to die up there. Yeah, this this is sort of an adjunct uh, sequel, not not exactly a direct sequel. Well, if you <laughs> want to watch how Blatty was really taking the sequels to The Exorcist, it is a direct sequel because mm-hmm. 
the way Blatty had it set out, the Exorcist was the bomb. And the nice configuration and Exorcist 3 were the aftershocks. Right. Because really, how that's never really been dealt with in horror before, has it? No. Or action, you know. How would this event affect someone, you know, 20 years down the road? Right. But yeah, on November, on February 6th, Central Cinema is having a one-night-only showing of William Peter Blatty's The Nice Configuration, which if you're close to it, and I know you, and you don't go see it, I will stab you. You need to fucking see this brilliant, <laughs> insane, unplaceable film. You cannot place this in any genre. And you Unless you, you... I always considered it a really dark comedy. Yes, it's a really dark comedy... Religious allegory, Vietnam allegory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With some of the best performances ever by Scott Wilson, Stacy Keach, Jason Miller, Joe Spinell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, who was it, the guy that played the Mafia Chief in Innocent Blood? Uh, uh, Robert Lozier. Yeah, Robert Loggia, Moses Gunn. Yeah. Uh, what's his name from Eating Alive? Uh, Neville Brand. Neville Brand's in this. This yeah. is just a brilliantly insane movie that has no right to exist, but it does, and it needs to be seen more. Oh, absolutely. I'm tired of being one of the one of the twenty people that love this fucking movie. People come out, find it, love it. God damn it. Oh yeah. Agreed. Or foot will find you. And do you think Terry Jones seen foot right before he died? I perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. And wouldn't he say brilliant as the as foot came down? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would, absolutely. And with that, good night for a more in-depth view of Terry Jones's career. Turn it, tune in to, well, the Deviant Legion tomorrow <laughs> at 8 p.m. We're going to do a show on 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 them, so so uh, we'll be doing Terry Jones. So I hope you come and join us there. And with that, good night. See you. Good night, next everyone. Time. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs>
Open the circuit to the wave motion gun. Open the circuit. Let's see the pressure increase. All the ship's energy is now in the wave motion gun. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. Oh, did I hurt your feelings? The Magneto's right. There's a war coming. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. You sure you're on the right side? Hasta la vista, baby.